<clears throat> you know, I, 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 I told Ashley when she told me she was going to be out of town for this Sunday, I, I said, well, if nothing else, it'll help us appreciate you more. You know, so yeah, anyway. I, I, you know, I can say this because she's not here. Ashley was one of those kids growing up that could not eat, uh, chew gum and walk at the same time. You, you know what I'm saying? So her, her coordination, her coordination it was just not, not that good. And when she said she wanted to start playing the piano, I thought, you're crazy. You know, you, you know, that, that it's never going to happen, you know, but, you know, obviously Ashley is, you know, you can actually walk up and talk to her while she's playing and she doesn't skip. I'm like, what happened to the kid? That you know. Anyway, I praise God for her. She has she has really uh, matured in her piano skills. But anyway, <clears throat> John chapter eleven. If you're using the Bibles there in the chairs, it's page uh, six thirty-seven. Uh, last week uh, we started, or, or I started, a two-part sermon. And if things go well, we're going to get out early today because we had no choir, no special. You know, so things are just clipping right along. So we're a good 10 minutes ahead of schedule. So uh, I I, uh, I told my wife down in junior church, I said, other than the fact we've got a second offering at the end, we should be done early. So if I don't shut up, then so let me just get to it. <laughs> anyway, we started a two-part sermon last week and the first part of the message this morning is is kind of a review for those of you that were not here last week, because there are a few of you that were not here last week. Uh, if you were here last week, uh, hopefully it'll be a reminder to you of what we talked about last week and uh, that God can use that in your life. But the title of the message that I started last week was Moving Stones and Changing Lives. And I, I'm going to be honest with you this morning. The this message, this two-part message, is a is is not necessarily original to me. Uh, the the basic idea of of the, these two messages uh, came uh, from uh, a series of sermons that I've been listening to. Uh, I shouldn't say a series. I've I've listened to three specific sermons from different uh, uh, pastors that I know, and uh, God has used little bits of all three of these sermons. So you're getting a, cul- a culmination, if you would, of different sermons that God has specifically used in my heart and my life. And I just, I just felt the need to share them with you. And, um, uh, you know, the, 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 the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing of sunder of soul and spirit. And it's the Word of God that changes lives. But in that, God uses the human vessel. And why he, why he has chosen sinful men to accomplish His work is beyond me. I, I, I just, I, 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 I struggle because the fact is, I know me. And there are many days I don't like me. And the fact that God would choose to use me is an amazing thing. And if you're honest with yourself, you would say the same thing. 
In John chapter 11, we started last week with a quote that Jesus gave us in verse 25. It says, I am the resurrection and the life. And we went back and we talked uh, more specifically than we will this morning about John chapter 11. But in verses 1 through 3, we see that Jesus' friend Lazarus is very, very sick. And he is so sick that his two sisters, Mary and Martha, send someone to Jesus to let him know and say, say, hey, your friend Lazarus is sick unto death. And, uh, and it doesn't say it, but it's implied that they wanted Jesus to come and, and heal him so that he wouldn't die. That was the whole point of the messenger. But Jesus <clears throat> uh, delays his, his, his visit, if you would. In verses 4 through 6, uh, he he delays his departure where he was to Bethany, where Lazarus was on purpose. And in the interim of, uh, I think it was two days if my memory serves me correctly, uh, verses 14 and 15, Jesus then announces to his disciples that Lazarus is dead. And not only is he dead, but he's glad that he's dead. We, we talked in great detail last week about that. And, uh, <clears throat> but it's important here that we understand that Jesus purposely delayed his visit so that Lazarus could die. Let's look at verse 21 of our passage here in John chapter 11. Verse 21 and following. And then then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou had been here, my brother had not died. So what what is she doing? She's she's. I, I would I would imagine if any of us were in that exact same situation, would we not have said the same thing? I've I've known people who have lost loved ones, and, and I'm not diminishing the loss of a loved one. But I know people who have said, if I had only called the ambulance sooner, if I had only recognized some signs sooner, you know what? God has all of that under control. Verse 22, and I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. And Jesus said unto her, uh, thy brother shall rise again. So what does she say in verse 22? She says, you know what? If you ask God, God will bring him back to life. And then what does he say? <clears throat> Your brother shall live again. But listen to her answer. Martha said unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. She didn't understand what he was trying to do. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? And she said unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which shall come uh, come into the world. See, I don't think 
she totally understand what Jesus was trying to communicate to her. She was looking at the here and now, and, and all she could see was that her brother was dead. Jesus makes his way to the tomb. And again, we talked in, uh, a great deal about this last week, but in verse 33, let's start reading again. And Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping, which came with her and uh, groaned uh, in the spirit and was troubled and said, where, has, where have ye laid him? And they said unto him, Lord, come and see. Verse 35, one of the most compassionate verses in, in Scripture, that Jesus wept. And then said the Jews, Behold, he loved him. Is that why he, is, is that why he was crying? No. He was, he was crying because, they, because of the lack of faith. And some of them said, Come, uh, could not this man which uh, opened the eyes of the blind have uh, caused that even this man uh, should not have died? In other words, they were making, literally they were making accusations toward Jesus. Had he not delayed? If God, how many times have we prayed the prayer and said, God, if you will do this, this, and this, then I'll be happy. That's not how it works. Jesus, therefore, again, groaned in himself. I, 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 that, that word groaning, can you feel the pain Jesus felt? Have you ever groaned in your spirit? I have. It's a horrible, horrible feeling. And he groaned in his spirit. And therefore, again, groaning in, in himself, cometh to the grave. It was a cave, and a stone lay upon it. And Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. And Martha, the sister of him that uh, was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath uh, been dead four days. And Jesus said unto her, uh, Said I not unto thee that thou wouldst believe thou uh, should should it see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone and uh, from the place where the dead was laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And verse 42 is an interesting verse. He says, I know that thou hearest me always. In other words, Jesus can pray within his heart and he knows his Father hears him. But because of the people which stand by, I say it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. What does he mean by that? He says, I'm going to pray. Lord God, God, you, you know my heart. You can hear me pray within my heart, but I'm going to speak it verbally so that the people around me will know that you have sent me. In other words, he's going to demonstrate or teach, if you would, the people around him an important lesson. Let's go back uh, to verse 15. What lesson? What lesson? Verse 15, I didn't read it on purpose this morning 
because I wanted to go back to it right now. Verse 15, it says, I am glad for your sake that I was not there to the intent ye may believe, nevertheless, let us go unto him. So what, what, what is verse 15 it says? Verse 15 says, Jesus says, I'm glad that, that Lazarus has died. Why? So that when I'm there getting ready to pray, you will see the power of God at work. The lesson that Jesus was trying to teach. See, this was not about raising somebody from the dead. This was about Jesus teaching the people around him how to be servants. Verse 43, and then, and when he thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound with a Napkin and Jesus said unto them, Loose him and let him go. <clears throat> Last week we talked about the the two things that Jesus told them to do that he could have done himself. The, the first one, uh, take ye away the stone. And then the second one was loose him and let him go. The, and the question I asked last week was, could Jesus have spoken and both of those things have happened? Absolutely. If you can raise somebody from the dead, you can move a stone out of the way. And you can, you can take the grave. I mean, he could have just snapped his finger. He could have blinked an eye. I mean, he could have done anything or even thought it, and it would have happened. The question then we talked about last week was, why didn't he do that? Why, didn't, why did he say, hey, you guys go move the stone. You go and take the grave clothes off. Why did he do that? And we and again, the reason I believe is so that the people there seeing this miracle take place could be part of the miracle. And the key to being part of the miracle is you've got to be there to be part of it. I also made an incredibly important statement last week that Grace Baptist Church exists for two reasons. The first one being to move stones away so that dead people can get to Jesus Christ. The second one, to help people take off the old life so that they can walk in a renewed life with Jesus Christ. The first one is an example of evangelism. And the second is, a, is, a, is an example of or a picture of discipleship. Last week, uh, again, and I'm going to go through this as quickly as possible, uh, we, we talked about five ways we can move stones away in, in, in our lives and in the life of Grace Baptist Church. Five ways. Number one was being creative. Luke chapter 5, verses 17 and 18, and it came to pass on a certain day when he was teaching that there were Pharisees and doctors of the, of the law sitting by which come out uh, of every town of Galilee, Galilee and, and Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal, to heal them. And behold, men brought, a, uh, brought in a bed, a man which was taken with a palsy, and they sought means to bring him in and laid hands on him. And last week we highlighted the idea of seeking means, or they sought means, or they were creative. 
And I, I mentioned uh, last week and the, the fact that many people, uh, well, I shouldn't say many, a, a few people through the years, it seems like every time a parade happens in town, somebody has come to me and said, hey, you know, we need to do that. And my response has always been, okay, you do it. And, and we've never done it. <laughs> but last Sunday night, uh, the Monroes came to us, to me, and said, we want to do it. So we are entered. We've got it. We're in, right? Yeah. We're, we're having a float this year. Now, it probably won't be a whole lot. Uh, you know, I mean, first year, you, you know, for, first year, it's going to probably be kind of basic, but that's okay. You know, we need to be creative in these things. And praise God for that. The second one was commitment. Uh, in Luke chapter 5, verse 19, and when they uh, could not f- uh, find by what way uh, they might bring him in because of the multitude, they went uh, upon the housetop and let him down through the tile <clears throat> with, uh, with his couch into the midst before Jesus. And again, we talked about, you know, who does your house belong? What, what is your commitment? Does your house belong to you or to God? And are you using what God's given you uh, to get people to Jesus Christ? The third one that we talked about was character. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 15 to 16. Ye are the salt of the earth. But if salt had lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is henceforth good for nothing uh, but to be cast out and trodden under the foot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And I spent some time talking about some friends of mine, um, Jim and Carol Stackhouse, missionaries in the country of Papua New Guinea, that have literally impacted a nation for the cause of Christ because of the character that they have of the stick to itness. Larry's about to go visit one of our missionaries in the, on the island of Ponape and you will find that that church has influence in all parts of that nation. Government officials have come to that pastor and asked for help. It's an amazing thing if we will only do what God tells us to do. And then number four was confession. Romans chapter 1, verse 6, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Your testimony, our testimony, is an incredible way to move stones in the lives of people that don't know Jesus Christ. Telling people, unbelievers, the, the, the incredible things that God's doing in your life can melt the hardest of hearts, can move the biggest of stones. And then number five, we talked about compassion. Jude chapter 22. And some have compassion making a difference. Does your compassion make a difference? Does your compassion move stones away in the, in the lives of people. 
That was last week's message. So now, point number two, changing lives. Discipleship starts when we decide to move stones away. You You cannot help somebody be like Jesus Christ who does not know Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? We've got to get them to Jesus Christ before we can teach them to be like Jesus Christ. It is an amazing thing that the church in America today expects an unsaved world to believe like we do. Every once in a while, someone will say to me, they'll, they'll, they'll hear of some crazy law being passed or, or something going on, usually in California, and they'll, and, and, they'll, and they'll say something like, can you believe it? And my response almost always is, absolutely, I can believe it. What do you expect from an unsaved world? Absolutely, it makes sense. We need to remove the stones so that we can then help people be more like Jesus Christ. The, 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 the word, let me read you a definition of what uh, discipleship is. Christian discipleship is the process by which disciples grow in the Lord Jesus Christ and are equipped by the Holy Spirit who resides in our hearts to overcome the pressures and trials of this present life and become more like Jesus Christ. Jesus' statement that I read at the very beginning, I am the resurrection and the life. The word resurrection speaks of evangelism, does it not? But he also says, I am the resurrection and the life. Discipleship. See, where does true life really happen? True life really happens when we become more like Christ and less like ourselves. I have a question for you. And hopefully this is, is, a, is a question that will, will, will cause you to think today as you go out throughout your day. What does it take to vote to motivate you to change other people's lives? We're going to talk about two things, hopefully, this morning that will help you be motivated to change the lives of other people. The first one is knowing the value of a soul. The value of a soul. Mark chapter 8, verse 35 says, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. Jesus here in Mark chapter 8, verse 35, is, is basically saying, look, if we hold on to the things of this world, we will lose our lives. Our lives will be absolutely unproductive. But if we will give our lives, then we will gain everything. Jesus, after verse 35, verses 36 and 37, Jesus asks two rhetorical questions. Anybody know what a rhetorical question is? you, You automatically know the answer. You don't have to answer the question. The first rhetorical question is in Mark 8, 36. 
For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? We know the answer to that. There is no profit. The, the, the idea is what is the advantage? There is no advantage. In fact, just the opposite of true, there is a disadvantage if we don't. What profit, <clears throat> what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world but lose his own soul? Right there is the answer to the, sec to the first point, and that is what is the value of a soul? Think about this. What is the value of a soul? It's priceless. Jesus likens the value of a soul to the wealth of the world. And he says there is, there is nothing more precious in the whole world than a single soul. In a little while, we're going to be taking a, an offering for the Pruitts. And I, I hate to keep singling him out. I hope you don't get mad at me about this. But it, it, it just helps, I think, to put things into perspective. You think, well, what's the big deal about a retaining wall? Well, let me tell you what the big deal is. By building a retaining wall around a house for our missionary to live in, then now he, if once the house is rebuilt, will have the ability to live in a comfortable home where he then can then reach others for Jesus Christ. To me, it's a, it's a great investment. What shall it profit a man if he shall <clears throat> gain the whole world but lose his own soul? What is it worth to build a retaining wall? It's priceless. If, if, if by going to, to <clears throat> Ponape and building a retaining wall, it, down the road as a result of one person getting saved, it was worth every single penny. And then some. Mark thirty, Mark, Mark eight thirty seven, or what shall a man give in exchange for a soul? Again, another rhetorical question. There is nothing that you can give. There is not a there is not a bank account big enough for you to buy your own soul. There is not a good deed great enough that you can do that can buy your own soul. So what is, the, what, is the, what is the point here? Your life is priceless. I think that, what is it, American Express that does that credit card, you know, or Bank of America, I don't know, one of the credit card companies, MasterCard, whatever, that, you know, you know blah, 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 you know, $300, priceless. I think they cheapen the word priceless by doing that. Your life is priceless. Now, how many of you would agree with that statement that your that your life is priceless? Raise your hand if you believe that. 
<clears throat> do you believe that the life of your friend and your families are priceless as well? Amen. Hopefully you do. What about your enemies? Christ died for all. Christ died for all men. True discipleship will not happen until we understand the value of every soul. Every soul. And that their need for Jesus Christ. Is it easy to be a discipler of Jesus Christ? No, it's not. Why? Because well, we'll get into that in a little bit. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse seventeen. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a what? New creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Not only are you priceless, but you're precious in the eyes of God. Point number two. Uh Uh-oh, my thing is freaking out on me. Don't do that. I hate electronics. Have I ever told you I hate electronics? Okay. Don't die. We're almost done. Point number two. The willingness to change. The willingness to change. The reality is we oftentimes want other people to change, but we don't want to change. But true discipleship starts with us. How many of you are familiar with the, uh, the, the great apostle named Peter? Most, most of us would know Peter. Peter was, was, he was accomplished, if you would, in, in, the, realm, in the realm of being a preacher. Uh, 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 Peter accomplished great things. He, he, he became uh, uh, very outspoken and passionate about the gospel. <clears throat> One of Jesus' closest friends, whenever, whenever Jesus oftentimes would go away and separate himself from the majority of his disciples, Peter was one of the ones he would take with him. He was very, very close to Jesus. In fact, he became the quote-unquote de facto spokesman for the apostles, did he not? Whether we like to admit it or not, Peter actually did walk on water. Not very far, but he did. I tell you, he's walked further than I ever did. <laughs> hey, you know, I've heard, I've heard pre- preachers just beat up on Peter. And I'm like, dude, he's done more than you. He preached at Pentecost. In, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 9, we find he was, the, he was a pillar of the church. Peter was the man, if you would. He was a great person. He was a great preacher. He, you know, uh, he he had a lot to teach to other people. In Acts chapter ten, something interesting happens. A guy named Cornelius. He was a centurion, a, a military officer. 
God speaks to his heart and 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 uh, believes that God wants him to reach out to Peter. Well, the problem is that Peter is a Jew. Now he's saved Jew, but he's still a Jew. And Cornelius is what? He's Roman. He's he's a he's a um, uh, totally lost it. Uh, a Gentile, and the, and the two never mixed. So. Uh, God puts it on the heart of uh, Cornelius and Cornelius sends a couple of, of, of his men to go find Peter. And simultaneous to this, Peter has a dream. And I want to read to you a little bit Acts chapter 10, uh, verses 11 to 14. It says, And he saw heavens open and a, a certain vessel descend unto him, as it were a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down to the earth, wherein all the manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. Uh, and there came a voice uh, to him, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter said, No, no, not, not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Now, I don't know about you, but Peter has a tendency to stick his foot in his mouth. Okay, and he, he does it again here. Can you imagine telling God no? I, I mean, I, I just, I, I just kind of like shudder at that thought. Unfortunately, we do it all the time. Peter is just honest about it. <laughs> I love him. I love him. Anyway, this what we just read happens three times, and then about, right about the, the, the right after the third time, guess what happens? Dunk, dunk, dunk. The three guys show up. Peter goes goes off with them, and he and he and but he knows that the dream has got to be more than about food. That God is doing a work in his heart. In Acts chapter ten, verse seventeen. Now, while Peter doubted in himself what this vision, which uh, he had seen, should mean, behold, the men which went, uh, uh, with, the men which were sent from Cornelius and had inquiry of Simon's house and stood before the gate. Basically, Peter knew that God was doing a work in his heart and his life. Now, who, who are we talking about here? We're talking about the Apostle Peter, the man who walked with Jesus Christ while he was here on earth, the man who spent intimate time with him, the guy who walked on water, who was the pillar of the church. This was the guy. Acts chapter 10, verse 28. Then said he unto them, the them there is Cornelius, and we're assuming other believers that had assembled at Cornelius's house. Ye know how that it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or to come unto one of another nation. But God hath showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. What just happened? He grew. He changed. Peter, the man who, 
who walked on water, who, who, who preached at Pentecost, who did all the stuff and was willing to change himself. And way too often, way too often, we get stuck in our ruts and we, we plant our feet and we say, bless God, I'm not changing. Peter was willing to change. And if we are going to help change the lives of people, we must first be willing to change. Because if we are unwilling to change, then that means we are unwilling to grow. I have a newsflash for you. You're not perfect. I know, I know that comes to a shock to some of you. but you've not arrived. We all need to change. We all need to grow. The key is, are you willing? Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 to 27. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which buildeth his house upon a rock. And the rains ascended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon upon the house and it fell not for it was founded upon a rock and every man that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall not uh, shall be likened unto a foolish man which buildeth his house upon the sand and the rains ascended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and and it fell and great was the fall of it when we dig our heels in and are unwilling to grow and to change and allow God to work in our lives, then we are no longer usable vessels. At the beginning, I said that Grace Baptist Church exists for two reasons. The first is moving stones so that dead people can get to Jesus Christ. The second is to take off... help them take off the old life and put on a life renewed by Jesus Christ. How are you doing? How are we doing as a church? I think as a church we can do absolutely, we can do better. As far as individually, I can't answer that question. Only you can. Moving stones, we need to be creative, Confident, have character, uh, confession, and compassion. Changing lives. Please, let, let, let the value of a soul. It is, is the value of a soul worth your sacrificing two hours a month to come out and go soul winning, to knock on doors and tell people about Jesus Christ? It is, is, it, is it worth that? I hope it is. Because we live in a community of people that are desperately in need of the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. What is the value of a soul to you? But most importantly, are you willing to change? Because if you can't change, can you imagine the disaster what would have happened if Peter had said, you know what, I'm not changing. 
He, said, he told the Lord at least twice the first two times he saw that dream, no, I ain't doing it. No, I am not going to eat that food. But then he realized, wait a minute. God's doing a work in my life. And it could be this morning that God is doing a work in somebody's heart right now. And you are attempting, you are attempting to dig your heels in right now and say, no, God, I want to live my life the way I want to live it. Let me encourage you, don't do that. Be like Peter and say, okay, God, use me. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this day.